I have to admit, I'm not quite sure what Generation Z uh, consumers are. I can't even work out how we're getting a, a new generation every year. We've had X, Y, and Z and millennials and bloody things. For, for 100 years, it was just baby boomers. That was it. And now all of a sudden... Well, there was Gen, Gen, Gen X and then Gen Y. I mean, these kids are multiplying like bloody rabbits. <laughs> Mate, let, let, let's not make ourselves sound any older than we actually are. Thanks to Cryer Malt, a grain of truth in every podcast. This is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me today, sadly not by my side on stage, but back in the Australian Brews News Studios in Queensland, which is, of course, the newly crowned epicentre of award-winning beer, it's Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. G'day, Prof. Welcome back. Yeah, shame. It was was lovely to catch up with you for those uh, very brief few minutes at... uh gabs last week but uh yeah we're back back to normal this week my voice is starting to come back uh yours sounds like it's uh you had a bit of a throat clear before you you, you spoke it sounds like you're back to normal oh, just about it's suffering just a little bit but you know we'll get there <laughs> Uh, but listen, Matt, joining us uh, on episode 172 as a very special guest uh, co-host, um, fresh, and I use that term very lightly because I saw her up close late on uh, Sunday at gabs it's Nicolette Gilman g'day Nicolette Hello. <laughs> you sound a bit croaky too, Nicolette. I'm a little bit husky. I should probably re-record my voice now. <laughs> That's right. Joe can Joe can fix that all up in post. We'll just run a run it through a, a beautiful rose filter. When we get into it, our voices uh, are a nice lead into to one of the stories we're talking about, which is the uh, post Good Beer Week week. Exactly. Just in terms of uh, of, of introducing uh, Nicolette, she's been a craft beer ambassador uh, with Lion for many years before making the change over to uh, independent beer. She chose uh, Pirate Life, and, well, there you go. How's that working out for you? <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been with Pirate Life for about 18 months now. Um, yeah, awesome awesome brand, uh, great crew, great great team of people. And then yeah, and you're prior a, to a that... South, South, South Australian girl originally, before you came over sure to... Am. Yeah, and then and so... But you're, you're Melbourne-based with Pirate Life now. Yep, been in Melbourne course, for so. about three years. Um, so I used to uh, do a bit of work for Lion and Creatures and their craft brands uh, for a couple of years before I moved across to Pirate Life. So sort of did their events and tastings and trainings for all of Lion's craft brands, which was just a fantastic job. Talking to people about beer is what I like. Um, and then sales before that for Lion in South Australia. So selling Western drafts in SA is a pretty good job as well. And before that, I actually used to work at a brew pub in Canada. Well, which one? Uh, Steamworks. Steamwork. So when I was there, they were just uh, on premise. They uh, they package now as well. So um, that's sort of where I started to drink. I guess you know full beer that tasted a bit more like beer, full flavoured beer. So sort of where yeah, I yeah. got a passion for that. And uh, and as we introduce the topics that we'll be talking about this week, it will make sense uh, that we've invited you on. Um, I guess as an industry expert in um, in a fairly broad range of sort of fields, because some of the, uh, the topics that we're going to get into um, today, I think you'll have some um, some really good insights uh, that perhaps Matt and I uh, lack. And uh, making news in brews this week, we'll talk about throwing your mates to the sharks. Squires Landing opens on the harbour. Brewers need to be brewing more than just beer. And IBA CEO to POQ. 
Now, let's start off, Matt, with um, throwing your mates to the Sharks. This week, um, and I probably, you know, I, I did throw in uh, somewhat perhaps glibly um, after the AIBAs that Queensland is, is surely anointed now as the um, the titular head, you know, the spiritual birthplace of, or, or uh, you know, current seat of, um, of all that is good about craft beer. Uh, Matt, I, I, I'm not going to uh, buy into that because, I, 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 you know, I always hate it when you see, you know, WA has a good result and suddenly they, they are... Um, you know, touting themselves as, uh, you know, the, the craft beer home or Victoria. You know, it, it's just really exciting to see how that craft beer, um, the, the the gongs are moving around the country, which shows that overall yeah, yeah. craft beer uh, beer quality is, is is growing. You might even say, Matt, that the, uh, the rising tide is floating all boats. <laughs> Uh, well, Just that, obviously, due to global warming, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit more prominent up in Queensland. Yeah, but look, I mean, Queensland has obviously uh, raced ahead. I think there were seventeen new breweries open last year, and we've already seen quite a few open this year. Um, but again, does that mean that Queensland is the hip happening place, or is Queensland a little bit later to the party? And um, we, we've seen you know, uh, like a, that, that flowering that has happened elsewhere sooner. Um, so, look, it, you, you, you never quite know. Um, I, I, I guess in two or three years, the you know, the, the idea will be to see uh, how, how strong Queensland is, how many are still there and how many are still pumping out those quality beers. But uh, no, really, really exciting as a, as a proud Queenslander who's been, you know, sort of flogging um, the, 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 the good beer mantle up here uh, for 15 years. It's really, really exciting to see that, there are breweries. There is quality, um, and and that it's going on. And yeah, more importantly, like we are starting to see um, beer getting included in a whole range of events. Um, and you know, they, they traditionally haven't had beer or have just sold sponsorship to one brewer. But these days, they are starting to take that um, hand off, or you know, loosen the the reins a little bit and, and include um, craft beer. So you no, know, re- re- really, really exciting. But that was your intro to, yeah, last week. It, it, it's actually a story from last week. The Shark Tank. Uh... Yeah, there, there, there's a, a, a little brewery up here, a, a little business up here called Your Mates Brewing. And uh, um, two fellas, Christian and Matt, uh, lovely blokes. You know, they really are um, the, the, the sort of guys who have that passion for craft beer and, you know, sort of said, we love beer, we love making beer. Everyone seems to be liking drinking beer. I reckon we can do this too. And so they've jumped in. They've been contract brewing um, for a couple of years and their business has been um, growing. So I, I think they'd had a couple of stabs. at when, when they first canned, I think they did a crowdfund me to sort of get the cash so they could get the canner in um, and get their first um, canning run done. Beers out um, to market. Yeah. yeah. And, and they've decided that they want to have their own brewery. Um, and so they went on Shark Tank pitching, uh, seeking an investment of $750,000 for 25% um, of the business um, and sort of pitch. But the, the reason I threw this up as a story is because their business was being analysed uh, on TV, you had the five sharks asking them questions um, because they were looking for their investment. And it was really interesting that um, they said that on their current contract model, a carton of beer costs them $56 to produce. Um, with contract canning adding to that cost. So, um, and they, then they sell a wholesale carton for $72.50. And that was a really interesting insight to me. And I, it's something I wanted to discuss here because a lot of people listening to our podcast uh, you know, have their own dreams of opening a brewery and they, you know, maybe they see that contract brewing is a way to go. But you know, 
$72.50. So I, I just had a bit of a Google um, and they sell basically in Queensland. And so one of the bottle shops up here, um, Black Sheep Bottle Shop, is advertising it at $5.99 a can, $18.99 for a four-pack or $99.99 for a carton of 24 um, and just as a quick, you know, it, it's they're, they're pale ales in the same marketplace as Little Creatures Pale Ale. Um, first choice, $62. So That's for Little Creatures. From Little, little Creatures Pale Ale. So, yeah, so, you know, it, 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 it's a really interesting story about, um, you know, we, we talk about uh, the fixed cost and the unit cost, and it's a unit cost game, and craft beer is, a, when you're making it uh, at small scale, um, We've seen figures from uh, um, the, the IBA suggesting that you know there's 20 to 40 jobs per million liters. Um, it's a, you know, and I think these guys said they were making 100,000 liters, and they've got two jobs, so that's on on track with with there. But you really need to be able to convince people um, that your beer is worth a $37 premium um, because of your brand. If, if, if you're um, making that so it's just you know, I just wanted to anyone that's thinking of having a um, uh, having a go and you think contract brewing is the way um, you know just, just have a look at, at some of the discussion that, that, that went on um, because it, 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 it's quite insightful about some of those areas that a lot of brewers aren't really willing to share in public I'm going to throw an interesting one into the mix map because on the way into gabs i was listening to the wireless and they had a um some i can't remember who it was so i will follow it up but anyway they'd done a bit of an investigation into um shark tank over the time it's been in australia and there was something like of the you know 182 um offers that have been made there was something like only 28 had been followed up on so now some of those obviously are where the person who accepts the offer decides, no, look, you know, we're not, we're not going ahead with it or, you know, something else has come up. But it's just an interesting thing that it, there is a lot of, obviously, marketing and there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of, you know, um, TV, real world, inverted commas, um, kind of hype around all these different shows. You know, we know that all these various reality shows, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that doesn't actually perhaps happen or, or you know, is, is made to look like it happens. So I just wonder whether... Um, what sort of contracts are involved, you know, whether, whether the guys, when they do get an offer, you know, just how, how concrete and how solid that is, or whether, you know, in the cool, hard light of day, they go back through the, the numbers and go, yeah, you know, look, maybe we'll just go our separate ways. That, that's my understanding, Prof, is, and when I spoke to, to the guys afterwards, um, the, they, they didn't meet with the Sharks outside of their presentation, so they, they present, and they, there's the back and forth that goes on longer than the edited version. So it's obviously edited a little bit to, to sort of build tension or get to the, the nub of what the pitch was yeah. and the questions and the, and the, and the, and the things. Um, but there, there's a due diligence um, process. Because I remember there was, there was another one, like there was Friday Beers um, that was pitched a couple yeah. of years ago that was a, a bloke or a couple of guys who'd started it. And it was, well, we sell, you know, uh, we, we deliver a carton of or a, a six-pack of beers to your office every Friday night, uh, Friday afternoon, it was like $26 or something like that. And from memory, Steve Baxter um, you know, bought a share 
Um, but then you go through this whole due diligence process because, you know, the, these guys made a couple of claims um, that they may well have believed, they may have sort of thought were honest. And I think they said that they were the biggest craft brewery on the Sunshine Coast making 100,000 litres. Now, I'm pretty sure that Matty up at Brouhaha and one or two others are making more than that. So, you know, they, they might say things that they think are true or part of their pitch, or um, but then the, if somebody buys the right, they get to dig in and um, look at the books and see before they make an investment. So I, I guess there is always that, um, you know, reality check. Apparently these guys were offered a mentoring um, and that's been booked in. So the, the the two sharks who expressed interest are going to go up and you know have a have a session with the, with the guys and you know look at their business and probably give them some feedback. Um, and something could come afterwards. But I get the feeling from these guys that they, that it was because they had an email ready to go the next morning after this showed, um, saying, "Look, we were on Shark Tank. Go see us." Um, we weren't taken up, but here's your chance to buy in. That I think it was a case of any publicity is good publicity, and this is us advertising our brand. Good on them for having a crack for sure. But I guess yeah, it's that it's that jump from contract brewing to having your own brewery, or um, you know, having your own brewery to out, you know expanding and needing to buy more fermenters or a new brewery. Um, it's very expensive, you know. Um, it's it's not it's not good enough to make a, a fantastic product that. You know, there's a whole bunch of other things that, that come with it as well. Which is, um, yeah, you know, you're selling it at the right price. Are you marketing it correctly? You know, is it going to stand out on the shelf? Um, yeah, it's just sadly, as you know, we're all, we're all fans of um, you know good beer, but uh, yeah, there's a, a whole bunch of other considerations, I guess, that sort of go into people's purchase decisions. Um, yeah, before they buy, and you know, price is a big part of that, and branding and you know, everything. Yeah, and yeah, and I mean it's got it's got to be a pretty good American style pale ale if you're going to be selling it at thirty seven bucks. Like if your if your wholesale price is still you know seven or eight dollars more expensive than uh, Little Creatures retail price, you you've got to have a really good beer that's that's that much better than, for example, um, Little Creatures. And, and Nicolette, I'll be keen to get your insight into because you, you guys, I guess, at, at Pirate Life have at the pirate, using the Pirate Life example, um, four packs. 500 mil cans so it kind of i guess yep. it throws the model out a little bit in terms of not being able to um you know compare apples with apples easily but the other thing too is that there's there's de- there's definitely a, like a mental premium attached to to pirate life beers and I, yep. all the time popping up on my social media feed is you know, oh i saw you know pirate life uh, on special at whatever this price was and you look at it and you think <laughs> that's quite a bit for for a can but people are more than happy to pay it because there's that you know risk reward kind of ratio that they're, that they're happy with they know they're going to get you know mosaic ipa it's going to have mosaic just sticking out yeah well we've we've always been quite fortunate um from when we we've launched we've we've always had a lab um which is a quite a big expense um but yeah the, the guys who founded the company were always keen on having one straight off the bat so we could you know really make sure that we know what we're putting out um We've also always had a RO water plant, which I don't know if you've ever drunk the tap water in Adelaide. Um, <laughs> it's probably a good idea. Um, yeah, so I mean, our beer, our beer is expensive, but you know, it's, it is it is good quality. It's it's very consistent. Um, yeah, you, you know, you know what you're getting uh, with that as well. Our, our um, smaller cans are in six packs, so it is a little bit more of a compare, but. There's, there's definitely um, a few other breweries sort of playing in a, um, around that price as well. But, yeah, it's just for, for us as well, you know, it's expensive beer for us to make. They're all quite high ABV. 
we pay a lot of excise on that. You know, we use a lot of hops. We make really hop-forward beer, and hops are expensive. So, yeah, that's that's sort of what comes into the price. Um, so, so, so Nicolette, when you're when you're out in the trade, what's the sort of I guess the feel? Um, and I'm I'm guessing you get to speak to more retailers, you know, more business owners than you do perhaps, um, you know, the the everyday punter. Although I'm sure you you still get plenty of feedback there. Um, yep. What's the difference between sort of you know, you know being able to knock a, a couple of dollars off a, a six pack and then that translating into into more sales, um, either from you know like like what are the what are the retailers sort of saying to you is the the lay of the land at the moment? Yes, it's interesting. People um, obviously. Um, you know, bottle shop owners uh, and managers have a business as well, so they're always trying to get the product for for quite cheap. Um, but you know, if you, if you look at, and I use this a bit, like if you look at wine, you know, you, you have you have very cheap wine, you have sort of um, you know middle price wine, you have very expensive wine. So I sort of encourage people to, to think about beer as a spectrum like that. You know, yes, there are um, you know cheaper beers and. Don't get me wrong, they're, they're fantastic quality as well and you know, bigger breweries can certainly make beer um, due to economies, of scale, to economies of scale for a little bit cheaper. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think people are willing to pay a little bit more for, you know, a, a different sort of product and, um, you know, a product that they like. So, and yes, yeah, certainly, um, hopefully people, people like pirate life and, um, yeah, they, they understand that we, we sell it as... Uh, as, as cheap and affordably as we can um but yeah it's just a it's an expensive product to make yeah 100 but it's also very much about having the confidence that when you spend that money that you know what you're going to get and uh you know having full control over the brewing process uh in your own brewery yeah. helps and you know when you're contract yeah. growing um I, I guess there is that potential for variability because you don't own that control yeah i guess um you know i've, I've um yeah I drink plenty of, of contract brewed beers as well, and I've, I've never really encountered um, any issues there. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure about that side, but yeah, definitely for us, sort of, we were we were a bit fortunate. Um, the funding that we had when we started up, we could sort of buy some of this equipment to to help the beer come out, you know, super consistently and really good levels of, sort of DO and everything like that. So um, we can put out sort of a really um, good quality product, and yeah, it's it's always pretty much the same. Um, but again, those those you know can contribute back to the cost, um, I guess, of the beer as well. And even just um, we've been brewing for just over three years now, um, and you know it's a fantastic story. Um, and so how much we've grown in that time. But just yeah, as as you grow, you know, you've got to buy more more uh, more ingredients and more fermenters and everything like that. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's, I think it's been a crazy ride for the guys, but um, I guess you know for you've got to look at your business model. You know, Pirate Life always wanted to be a, a big brand and always wanted to be a national brand, but I think certainly over this in the states, you know, you're starting to see more people just wanting to make smaller breweries, you know, perhaps just sell on premise or, or from from their premises, you know, takeaways as well, and that's really starting to boom over there. It'll be interesting to see whether or not that catches on over here. Um, you know, I guess people sort of look at different. Mo- business models for, for how they're going to launch their brand yeah. you know, do people yep. want to be yeah, big and national and have their beer in, in every bottle shop or you know do they just want to kind of have a have you know sell beer at their at their um venue and you know a little you know in the surrounding suburbs and um you know does their business model sort of support them that way which leads us beautifully into uh, our next story, uh, which ties in a couple of those points. And Matt, that was um, an article that popped up on Brews News this week. The brewers need to be brewing more than just beer. Brewers need to be providing an experience. 
Yeah, and that was, uh, James was over at the uh, Craft Brewers Conference in the US and uh, he made, uh, one of the speakers um, made a point of that brewers need to cater for a younger generation of consumers who value experiences over products themselves. Um, and uh, talking about millennials and Generation Z, and I have to admit, I'm not quite sure what Generation Z uh, <laughs> consumers are. I can't even work out how we're getting a new generation every year. Surely, isn't it supposed to be the people then have kids and that's the next generation? We've had X, Y, and Z and millennials and bloody things. For, for 100 years, it was just baby boomers. That was it. And now all of a sudden... Well, there was Gen, Gen, Gen X and then Gen Y. Mate, let, let's and not then just millenn- millennials after that, I think. Yeah, yeah. and then Gen Z. I mean, these kids are multiplying like bloody rabbits. <laughs> Mate, let, let, let's not make ourselves sound any older than we actually are. I guess coming off the back of um, particular, you know, Good Beer Week and the various events there, and particularly you know, Gabs as a, as a kind of a, a microcosm of, of all that is great about beer, it really throws into um, sharp focus um, just how important it's not just about having a beer. Like I saw people drinking beers they clearly didn't enjoy, but they loved the experience of being able to try, whether it was the James Squire Shipwreck Ale or the you know the, the Blackman's beer that had um, snails in it. That's the, it. The, um, the, the James Guy shipwreck beer. Apparently, I, I didn't get a chance to. But I, I couldn't move twenty feet um, at, at, at Gabs without uh, getting drawn into another conversation. Down. So, um, yeah. I, I, the the only beers I basically had were when I was hiding in the craft beer college with you. But um, and that's the thing that we are. You know, I don't know anyone who, when they're being honest, says. Isn't it awesome that there are all of these ridiculous beers um, out there? Um, but at the same time, everyone is making them because you look at the discussions that go on on Facebook and you know the, the fact that there are Facebook groups discussing these things um, and the fact that there is a waiting list and these things walk out the door. Um, I, I just would say just <laughs> you cannot build a business on – you cannot build a scaling business on – these wacky way out, um, you know, experiential beers. But at the same time, the reality is that they are very, very important to keep uh, a, a brewery relevant, um, you know, in the marketplace and also to keep beer excite- exciting because after years and years yeah. and years of brewers coming out and saying, this exciting new beer is cold filtered or, you know, we've got a new, you know, clear glass bottle or, you know, whatever the, when they weren't talking about what was exciting in the liquid, and they were talking about the marketing of it, and that was a key element in people leaving the category because there was not there wasn't a lot of excitement in in beer, and beer was the same thing. So, you know, as much as there's that little hater in all of us that you know, wants to to sneer, you need to embrace them and love them because they ultimately you know create a lot of excitement in the category. Yeah, Nicolette, do you find it's it, it gets increasingly difficult to be heard above the noise? Like even three years ago, we, we were talking probably about two hundred and eighty or three hundred breweries, and how you know how burgeoning the the business you know the the community was in in Australia. We're now talking you mm. know closer to six hundred um, in, mm. in just three years. Like we're seeing ex- exponential growth. Do you guys sort of say okay, we can't just hang our hat on the fact that you know we put the um, the recipe on the can or that you know our, our our marketing was was really cool and and hip and bold and and easy to stand out on the shelf? It's got to be more than that now. Like, do you guys find that you've you've, you've just got to keep finding ways to to become relevant with the new drinkers? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I had a look at I had a look at this article and. I don't know, putting activated charcoal in drinks and chia seeds and uh, it's, I don't know, that just, 
it didn't really resonate with me, I must admit. I mean, you know, Gabs, what a what a great festival, what a great experience. Um, you know, what a fun time to be able to go and try all these different beers. And um, Yeah, I, I must admit, I didn't get a, a huge amount of uh, opportunity to go and really try very many this year. Um, no, but, but from yeah, your but point of view, Nicolette, I reckon the biggest change I've noticed in Gabs is is the shift from beer nerd, beer nerd, beer nerd, everyone else. Like this year yeah. particularly, just seem to be so many more people. Um, and and anecdotally from, from brewers who were sort of saying, oh, yeah, people would come up and go, Oh, you got a, a pale ale. Oh, okay. Well, give us one of those. Like there, there were clearly there was a lot of people around who had jumped on the bandwagon, I guess, sort of thing, or, or you know, heard mm. that the circus was in town and came along, but they weren't necessarily looking for the the cricket beer or the um, you know, the the Rogan Josh beer and that sort of thing. Did you find people coming up yeah. to you guys and just sort of obviously being new to it? We probably have a mix. You know, we I always make sure we bring a, a lot of different beers. Um, to Gabs, you know, our, our beers are, uh, are reasonably available around around Melbourne and Sydney, so I think it is important um, to have, you know, you, there's so many different breweries there and you've got the container bars, obviously, that you're competing with as well. It's important to sort of have something, you know, maybe a little bit different um, or limited on the stand, but, uh, yeah, certainly we went through quite a bit of our core range. You know, we, we don't we do not do a lot of um, limited release beers at, at this stage, and that's partially a function of, uh, that we're building a new brewery and um, the existing ones are pretty much um, at capacity. So pers- personally, I'd, I'd love when the new breweries up and running to see a little bit more uh, limited and some different things come out of the existing brewery. Um, but I, I still think it sort of it needs to be authentic. Like I, I don't think you can sort of add you know, activated charcoal to a beer and it's, you know people are going to flock to it for that. Um, I still think, you know, the ingredients that you, you add need to, you know, make sense of the beer and make sense with, with what you're offering. Um, and, uh, and I think the, the experience thing as well, you know, is, it's really important. But in some ways, I almost sort of feel like, you know, craft beer, is, it sort of does that anyway, you know. It's about sort of flavours. It's about, you know, what's in the beer and what can you get from it and what hops did they use. And are they using different techniques? Like I sort of feel like beer does that a little bit anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you know, too. Getting back to though, it's that experience kind of thing, and, and whether or not that's the the brew pub model. Um, I'm lucky enough to be able to pop into Stomping Ground quite often, and there's a real mm. vibe around that place. And it's it's not beer geeks geeking out about you know the the latest you know uh, experimental hop beer or whatever it is. It's just you know it's people. It's there's, there's a group over here with um, you know it's all mums with prams. There's a bunch of corporates over here sort of catching up. There's some guys over here doing a you know obviously a creative sort of um, you know whether they're marketers or advertisers or something having a, a, mm. a meeting and there's you know four different colored beers sitting in front of them to me that's that's really yep. where we're sort of going to um i guess move ahead and we'll look we do we do need to keep moving on we don't want to get too bogged down um but matt and i went to uh, a few breweries when we were up in um in brisbane recently um and helsby's ale house absolutely terrific but i think the thing that really nailed it for me matt was when we went to semi-pro and that's effectively that's a that's a, a big homebrew kit in a shed, in a in a concrete, you know, industrial thing. But the vibe there, the feel, that sort of thing, the experience of being able to come up and drink beer that was it's made there and it's poured here, and I can sort of see both things at the same time. I think that's really what sort of I guess is driving us forward at the moment. But that's actually mm. not a gimmick, um, Prof. No, 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 no. I'm saying it's an experience. Yeah, and yeah. and to me that's an experience, and that's very different to buying a six pack and then drinking it at home and thinking, wow, that was a really nice beer. Like it just it just really adds so much more than the sum of its parts when you can have that experience in the at the source. 
I, absolutely, and, and I get, but I guess that's where I sometimes think we make the mistake of looking at beer as a single thing, um, and it, and it's just not. It represents different things to to everyone, and I, I see that shift to people going and drinking in the brew pub and having the experience there. Whilst it's about beer on one level, it's actually about that sense of connection with community and product, um, which is most important. We've talked about this before that, you know, you've got the – and in Queensland, it's been largely driven by the licensing laws that see the costs and, you know, the conditions put on alcohol – has seen pubs grow and, you know, the, the ability to own three bottle shops um, tied to a hotel licence, which has, you know, artificially inflated the price of um, hotel licences. Pokies have artificially inflated. But in doing so, you've, you've seen what was once the local pub grow into something that is generic and removed from the, the, the cultural experience. And, you know, it, it appeals to nobody because it's seeking to appeal to... It's seeking to cater to everybody. Um, whereas the, the local brew pub um, is back to that almost parish pump or you know local true local where people who live in the community go down there they have their local fresh beer that um, you know and, and, and meet the people who own own the, the pub and in, in, in return the brew pub is looking at building its community so it's not just marketing you know with a you know five dollar Palmer um, or you know taco Tuesday or those sorts of things and being the only marketing that they have, these little brew pubs are actually looking at being a true part of the community. And that's the experience. They'll source the local mm. produce that the coffee they use will be from the, the roaster up the road or, you know, like in the, in the neighbourhood and that sort of thing. And it just, yeah, it's, it's that kind of, you know, it's spot on, Matt. It's, it's that sort of community uh, hub. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Speaking of community hubs, the James Squires Squires Landing uh, opens on the harbour, and I was um, honoured to have um, hosted a special uh, keynote seminar for Craft Beer College, where we had the, uh, the Shipwreck Ale, and we had David Thurgood, who was from the Queen Victoria Museum and Art Gallery in Tasmania, and uh, Dr. Andrew Borneman from the Australian Wine Institute, along with Hayden Morgan, who you and I caught up with for a beer. So we had the brewer, we had the historian, and we had the scientist who had come together to recreate this, you know, 220-year-old yeast, turn it into a, a a viable yeast culture, which Hayden then turned into um, the um, the shipwreck ale, which um, is a nice kind of circular sort of thing and i know we, we we talk a lot about you know marketing and spin and and, and using a story to sort of you know, create your beer um but it's interesting that the um the sydney cove which was the the ship that was coming from calcutta on its way to sydney and and was shipwrecked uh, off the coast of tassie uh, in which these bottles were found um was actually headed for pretty close to where the squire's landing has um has just opened this week so it's kind of the beer's finally made its way to its original destination 
Yeah, look, I haven't I haven't tried it, but I've read some great articles. Luke uh, from Mail Over Time uh, wrote about, and I had had a very quick catch up with uh, like Chuck Hahn and a couple of other people. And it sounds like the yeast uh, that they've used um, has made for a very interesting beer. So uh, I'm looking forward to trying it. And uh, it, you know, it, it, it's an interesting strategy, I, I guess, outside of the the individual beers that we we are seeing a lot of openings um, going on. Uh, in in the line portfolio, so you know they, they bought Byron Bay, they've brought back uh, Yamundi, they've announced plans recently to create um, you know a, a business up in Townsville. This is a new brew pub opening for them. They do seem to be realising that. You know, going back to my last point, that people want to engage on a, on a local level. Sorry, Matt. Do you think it's interesting too that I guess do they look at AB InBev as sort of saying? We can't do craft, so what we'll do is we'll buy craft in. Um, and Asahi, I guess, um, has, has, has done a similar sort of thing. Lion kind of since since Creatures uh, and White Rabbit has more sort of gone for, I guess, recreating their their own you know old heritage brands. Is that is that a deliberate strategy? Do you think to be to have a point of difference? There does seem to be a distinct difference in strategy um, between the, the the two businesses, where Lion does seem to be wanting to incubate. And they've set up their business around what they describe as being small and nimble. You know, it, it's worked for them. You look at Furphy, which is you know a, a juggernaut um, in, in in the market at the moment, which is something that they, you know, grew. They kept it local. They put no marketing spend behind it, but just because it resonated um, and, and seemed and seemed to, then it broke out, and now they're driving it a lot more. Um, and it's it's become a, a, a criteria. And I think a lot of these. Uh, little test beds where they're going to you know that they do get to try things they get to try them in a small patch and the things that take off um take off and that's incidentally um from an outsider's point of view what happened with fat yak you know fat yak was one of how many different beers that cub tried but it just resonated there was something you know a, a couple of things all clicked into place in the same product and it took off and they've been trying to leverage other things off the back of that. Um, but apart from that, line, uh, CUB has, as, as you've said, you know, they've let some of their older craft brands wither um, and have come in and, and, and bought others. And they really seem to be pushing for Pines, um, you know, getting it at the football um, and, and at the cricket. And, you know, uh, I don't think we've really seen the full launch of Pirate Life. And, and I'm just being very wary here because I know that Nicolette probably can't. <laughs> Is there anything you want to tell us, Nicolette? <laughs> no, Are we going to see no, Pirate I'm... Life at the Adelaide Oval anytime soon, you know? Oh, no, I, I, I doubt that very much. As I, I think that's, uh, that's a line property. But you know, we've all been to the, the, the footy and the, and the cricket and, you know, nothing against sort of easy drinking lagers, um, you know, if, if that's if that's what you like, then you know that's what you like. But just wouldn't it be fantastic to be able to go to one of these big stadiums and and get something sort of you know a pale ale or something a little bit more full flavoured? So bring it bring it on, I say. But what a what a great what a great little story with the yeast. My my background uh, a long time ago is actually science. So um yeah, I think it's a, a great little story with the the, the rec ale, Is it? Um, yeah, the yeah, ship, I think uh, preservation, really, yeah, shipwreck ale. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see, you yeah. know, um, kind of what what flavours the yeast gave, and you know, are they different to sort of the Saccharomyces we use now? So yeah, I'm uh, I'm nerded out a little bit over that story. Actually, I didn't get a chance to try it at Gabs, but um, certainly, um, you know, with with the venues, I think 
um, you know, companies are, are understanding that people want an emotional attachment to their beer and part of that is, you know, this beer is made in a place where I'm from. So um, certainly it makes sense, I guess, from that point of view to have a, some different hospitality sort of options scattered around the country. And, you know, you can you can control everything there. You know, you can control kind of, you know, how the beer is poured and how it's spoken about and, uh, you know, what food goes alongside it. And, um, yeah, so I think from that point of view, it uh, can be a really good showcase from the beer as well. And, you know, certainly if done correctly, um, you know, I know I know creatures in Fremantle sort of, yeah, they sell a lot of beer out of that venue. And, you know, if you go there, what a, what a fantastic venue. What a... What a great experience just about, you know, being there and drinking beer on the water. And, and watching um, the sunset you know, with, a, with a pint of pale yeah, ale in your hand, it doesn't get any better than that. And I think that's really important for the industry as well is, you know, to be able to go into these places. You know, the staff are lovely there. They're not, they're not challenging. They're not dismissive. They're not, you know, rude in any way. And they're really interested, you know, what do you like and what can we give you that, you know, you will like or maybe even push you a little bit on this craft journey a little bit. Nicolette made a really interesting point. You know, she talked about uh, it was a fascinating uh, story about the East and it was uh, great to geek out on. And I, I guess as somebody who has probably been in trouble, you know, got himself into trouble for taking the, the, the long handle to the big brewers um, over their marketing, you know, Crown Lager, the time is the fifth ingredient and things like that. Um, it was always where what big breweries were saying, and, and their beer is always very, very good quality as we, as we keep talking about but it's when the story that they're telling just does not match up with the the, the, the reality um, that I, I get a little bit upset um, in, in that circumstance. But for, for beers like this, you know, I'm, I'm a great defender of the Carlton Draft tanks because they are creating a discussion around the liquid and not the nonsense. Yeah, and how, how it differs from the regular Carlton draft. So there's that, yeah, the conversation is, is started. And like, yeah, like you say, people are, are genuinely interested. And it's about fresh beer and it's about unpasteurized and about the shipwreck ale. It's about yeast. And, you know, you, you can't take anything away from that. And if we've got, if we see that the competition in the market that the small brewers um, have created is making the big brewers talk about the beer and the way that the beer is made and the ingredients of the beer in a true way, that can only be a great thing for the market. So, yeah, I I think the Shipwreck Ale is fantastic. Yeah, now before we finish up, we should uh, just quickly pass over our last uh, news item, and that is the the departure of... um, the first employee, actually, of the, the first appointment from uh, of the what was then the the CBIA, um, so now uh, head of member services and operations, Chris McNamara, who's um, moving on from from the IBA, having sort of, I guess, overseen the process of of appointing um, a, a new CEO or the the, the first uh, CEO um, appointment. Um, and uh, Chris has been a, a long supporter of, of Australian Brewers News, and we've look we've had beers with Chris since way back when. Um, your thoughts, Matt? Oh, mate, look, I, I just threw this in because I wanted to, it was more than anything, just highlight um, what Chris has done. You know, look, we, we operate in a highly fragmented industry and whilst on one hand we, we're all friends and we all make beer and then on, on a lesser level, you know, we've got independent versus big uh, brewing, but even when you sort of uh, dig into the independent, just the number of views that there are, and, and you saw that when Excise has been campaigned for, Suddenly everyone comes out and you've got the Western Australian brewers saying 30-litre kegs or small kegs are terrible. Um, It is a really, really broad industry of a lot of big egos and a lot of clashing uh, ideas. 
And, you know, Chris was, as you said, the first employee of the Craft Beer Industry Association to the IBA. Um, I guess he's been the face of a lot of it. He's been the, the the continuing theme through it all. Yep, and the driver for things like the Craft Brewers Conference and and all those and the the um, Craft Beer Awards and all that sort of thing as well. All of those. He's things, been behind. Yeah, yeah. and and you know, Chris and I have had a. You know, Chris is a um, regular listener um, to the to the podcast, and you know he, he and I have sort of uh, you know had our words from time to time because we we have yeah, had clash heads, Matt. Well, so have you and I, Prof, you know, like, and give it time yeah. to Clayton, I will as well. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, 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 you know, within the context of all of that, you know, that all matters nothing compared to what Chris has driven. And, you know, I just hope that he, uh, as, as he does step away from it with the new CEO coming in, that he can look back uh, with, you know, a, a great and growing sense of pride that he was there at the start of something that we hope will uh, continue on. And I, and I just hope that the industry really recognises that whatever you think about, you know, whatever minor gripes and disagreements you've got with the IBA and where you think their processes should be, that we do at last have a association that seems to be viable and unified and has appointed a C, uh, CEO and it's grown. And Chris can take... No, no small measure of credit for that, and uh, you know. So I just sort of wish him uh, very, very well as he uh, finds his next challenges. Yeah, and at nine o'clock in the morning, we um, collectively and um, metaphorically raise a glass to uh, all you've done, Chris. Well done. Let's delve, shall we, into the mailbag? Okay. Now we we do. Last week we <laughs> we decided to do two weeks, and so I'm conscious of the time. Um, Jamie Cook actually, uh, <laughs> when when they were on stage getting their medal, he did whisper in my ear, "Thank you for keeping the uh, podcast shorter." So I want to <laughs> keep that. Um, um, last week's letter of the week, uh, Ross Dean from Victoria. He said, uh, this email has been brewing for a while, no pun intended. Thank you, uh, <laughs> Ross. Please keep the puns for Prof. Um, that way we can all bag him. Um, Love the talk a couple of weeks ago about the tr- decision tree when buying beer. I'm also one that tries to purchase independent when I can, but I do see some positives about big beer ownership. For example, when living in California, I was initially upset about Golden Road. My gateway to IPAs was bought by AB Bev, but I soon forgot about that when it meant that I could get the beers at the baseball and at the airport. It sounds like the same thing is happening with uh, Four Pines at the footy, and I would love to see if they started brewing Golden Road uh, down in Tassie. Um, having seen so many breweries snapped up in the States, it conditioned me to keep up with the news on who owns what. When I moved back to Australia earlier this year, I nearly fell off my chair when I found out that Mountain Goat and Little Creatures were bought out. Um, that was some time ago, obviously, but uh, pleasantly surprised that Gay Droids has, had made themselves whole again. I think it's actually harder to buy independent beers in Australia because of all the home brand supermarket lines. At least in the US, it's just big breweries owning smaller ones. I can't be the only person that spends 10 minutes uh, in the bottle shop Googling these ridiculous brand names on my phone. Keep up the good work. So uh, thank you, Ross. And uh, yeah, that's our letter of the week for last week. Thank you to our good friends at Beer Cartel. What about this week, Matt? Two emails, and we, we are getting a flood of them. So listeners, thank you very, very much for supporting us. Uh, I'm a little bit behind in sending out the bar blades, but they will be uh, coming along. Um, but Ben Stab. Uh, sent in an email talking about uh, canning dates and best before dates and he wanted to report a wild stone sighting with its best before date actually within its 120 day limit which would still place it as fresh in the US and after listening to this week's podcast and the discussion uh, and the results of World Beer Cup I was thinking about how the freshness debate can be 
looked at slightly different and was wondering what you guys think also. Traditionally, the debate has been over hoppier ales, IPAs and modern lagers, where fresh is best. However, in the case of the World Beer Cup, James Squire managed to walk away with the gold medal in the Brown Porter, a highly contested style that doesn't mind a couple of weeks too much and was thinking about a large world of opportunities. Um, So then he goes on to talk about how Sierra Nevada to this day um, uh, is bottle conditioned and that uh, helps it from being oxidised. So yeah, the, the, you know, it, it's great to see more than anything. I think we covered off on the brown ale uh, on the the James Squire um, being a, a good beer to send overseas because it probably could take a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, really, really exciting to see that the freshness debate um, does continue. And Ben, thank you for for that. And we have been getting a lot of uh, texts and emails and Facebook messages uh, uh, about poor old Stone and uh, how long or how short the dates are on that so uh, please feel free to keep them coming now the, the letter of the week again thank you to the guys at beer cartel give them a double plug saying they're going to be sending out two six packs this week um don't forget that the letter of the week does get a mixed six pack from our good friends at beer cartel you can see a link to them in the show notes um hi guys i've been a keen listener of uh, bruce news podcast and regularly tune in on my drive home in the evenings in episode 169 one of your listeners wrote about wages in the industry I've previously applied uh, for brewing roles and was shocked at what was being offered. At one well-known small brewery, they were offering around 38,000 full-time annual salary as a trainee brewer. At another brewery, they were offering around $19 per hour, around 38k annually uh, for an entry-level job. In a recent Brews News article, it is mentioned that the craft beer had created over 2,400 direct jobs, paying $90 million in wages, which equates to $37,500 a year per employee. It will be interesting to see what the general trend is. And I remember when we uh, commented on the that financial analysis prof that we broke down the numbers along those lines, and it's something that we have been keeping an eye on, and it's interesting to hear some reports from the trenches. Um, but you, you've also yeah. been hearing a few things um, about yeah, wages yeah. in the brewing industry. This this has really sort of uh, opened the floodgates on Pandora's can of hornet's worms because uh, I've got lots of um, you know private messages and off the record kind of chats about um, this is you know, this is a really important topic that and we're glad that you guys you know we hope you guys you know sort of look further and it's not something that we're just going to. Uh, I guess go into it, and we should just point out Michael Michael Muller was the one who uh, who sent in that letter, and thank you very much for that, Michael. Um, it, it is something that we will be following up. There's some, um, I think, the IBA and some industry moves towards um, perhaps getting some sort of um, concrete information around because it, it, I'm fair in saying I think um, that there's there's no sort of award that covers specifically you know uh, beer and brewing and selling beer and marketing beer and, and all that sort of thing so at the end of the day i guess that the power is with both the you know it's, it's a combination of the employee and the employer it's you're you're worth what you can negotiate or what uh, what the business can afford and and matt we spoke off air about um the similarities i guess between um you know a brewery um who has and, and not even you know a rock star brewer but but somebody who i guess um you know the, the beer is kind of attached and, and nicolette in your case definitely you know I, I look at i look at red and i look at um uh, jack and i say like that's very much part of the the pirate life brand it's part of the, the fabric um so if those mm. guys were to move away the beer's not necessarily going to suffer but if it's you know oh you know it's getting brewed somewhere else now by someone then that perhaps you know not tarnishes the brand, but it, t- it does take a little bit of that certain something away. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, are, they are both not moving away. 
and the beer. No, 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 no. Ever going to be through just as, at the yeah. <laughs> But I use that as, as an example. Previously, I guess you know we looked at Mountain Goat. You, you thought straight away of Dave Benighton. Nowadays, you know Ian Morgan is very much the sort of I guess the you know the face of the brewery. Dave Edney was there for a while as well. Um, so there was always somebody attached. You know, Stone and Wood um, has a, a massive crew of, of really good brewers. Um, ably led by Keelan Vaughan and he's sort of you know seen as that but you know originally it was Brad Rogers was the brewer and that's I think very important particularly in the early stages it, it's very important for the brand so at the end of the day it's kind of like a, a sporting team where you know okay my halfback is is perhaps uh you know looking to chase bigger money elsewhere it's not that he's worth more to me but I might want to pay him overs because his, because of his importance to my brand, you know, perhaps the next best brewer along is not going to give me, you know, the same quality assurance or he's not going to have this, he's, he's not good at talking to um, to, to people at, at festivals and that's, that's something that's important to my brand. So what I'm saying is I think there's, whilst we don't have, you know, this is what you should be getting paid if you are a trainee brewer, a full-time brewer, a head brewer, an executive brewer, whatever it might be, and that's something that perhaps we as an industry do need to look at going forward. Um but I think it's you, you are worth what you can what you can negotiate and what your worth to the business is is perceived as. Yeah, profit. Yeah, no. I, look, I I agree. And you know, as we went talking uh, about the cost of running a business, and a couple of weeks ago we spoke to Richard from Benchspoke, who pointed out that you know everyone's got a lease, everyone's got the cost of ingredients, everyone's got the cost of glass. You know, they're all the same. One of the great variables um, in the, the business is the amount of beer you can make for your wages bill, and also what that wages bill is. Um, and it, it is an industry that because it is exciting and romantic and there's a lot of passion behind it that to some extent um, some people you know, have their passion mind and you can get away with um, paying them less and uh, that's ultimately to the detriment of the business. If, if, if people can't make a, a fair living wage uh, from the business, we are going to see a skill shortage um, and that's just economic reality um, if people see a value in training at that wage or just they love uh, working for the brewery that's true but those things wear out um, and you see a lot of brewers complain um, you know although they complain privately had a uh, brewer and you know this is my fourth brewer in two years and you say well if that's the case you know <laughs> it's either your brewery your business or or what they're being paid that's causing them to move on. Um, so yeah, but but it is something that they're, they're re- the industry is starting to look at, and hopefully it, it's a, it is also a story that we'll be following um, in the coming months, Prof. Yeah, and I can see that we'll probably end up doing whether it's a, a special Good Brews Week or, or perhaps a you know uh, a special Radio Brews News uh, edition um, dedicated just to that because I, th- I think it is something important, and certainly going forward, attracting people from outside of um, the industry who you know perhaps have those skills that um, we as a community need and, and perhaps don't um, necessarily foster. Um, it's something that I think we're going to need to we're going to need to look at. But it is a scary thing that yeah, if, if if wages go up, the cost of beer goes up unless brewers can expand. And it's you know it is one of the things that the industry really needs to talk about. And it's the, you know the dirty little secret uh, about viability longer term. I think so. Uh, yeah, so it certainly will be uh, keeping an eye on it. But uh, readers, thank you for your cards and letters this week, and uh, we will be getting you know normal bar blade service will be uh, resuming yep. uh, very shortly as well. Uh, shout out also to Will Rogers who also sent in a letter which we didn't have time to read this week, but we'll um. Uh, We'll send him out a barblade as well. 
We absolutely will. Excellent. Thank you very much to all of us for listening. Um, we love doing this and we love the fact that you do listen to us. Um, Nicolette, it has been an absolute pleasure to have your expertise and your experience uh, lend a little bit of um, colour and oomph, colour and movement to, to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Thanks very much. Oh, that's all right. It's been a while. We've been trying to do this for a little while now, and we've finally got all the planets to align, and um, and we're able to get you on. So thanks for that, Matt. Absolute pleasure having you on yet again. Oh, thank you, Prof. And uh, thank you, Nicolette. Lovely working with you, and I uh, look forward to having a beer with you uh, very soon. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, well, we've got the um, Brucon eighteen coming up um, in the third week of June. So that's probably the next time we'll all be in the same room together. Very much looking forward to that. And Matt, we should probably just give a quick shout out, get people to start getting their tonsils freshened up and ready um, because we'll have a presence um, as Australian Brews News in the um, on the trade area. Radio Brews News, yes. Uh, Brews, Brews News, News Live. Um, we will be presenting some uh, Brews News Live uh, and a radio and sort of recording catching up with all of the uh, goings-on of BrewCon 2018. So uh, if, if you are an exhibitor or if you are an attendee, make sure you stop by the uh, Brews News studio and see where the magic happens. I have a craftsman, actually, as we speak, Matt, putting the finishing touches, um, the, the polish and the varnish onto the um, the Radio Brews News crook. I've got a shepherd's crook. So uh, as brewers are sort of walking past, they'll find themselves hooked into <laughs> our little mini mobile pop-up studio um, to grab a few minutes of, of, of chat during BrewCon. Wonderful. And on that scary note, we'll see you all later. Thanks for listening. See you next week. We're out.